and welcome to SSI Live. You've long known the Strategic Studies Institute, or SSI, at the U.S. Army War College as the go-to location for issues related to national security and military strategy with an emphasis on geostrategic analysis. SSI conducts strategic research and analysis to support the U.S. Army War College curricula, assist and inform Army, DOD, and U.S. government leadership, and serve as a bridge to the wider strategic community. Now we're bringing you access to SSI analyses, scholars, and guests through this, the SSI Live podcast series. Thanks for joining us. Hello and welcome to this edition of SSI Live. My name is John Denny and I'm a research professor of National Security Studies here at the Strategic Studies Institute, or SSI, at the U.S. Army War College. It's Thursday, May 25th, 2023, and today I'm joined by my SSI colleague, Dr. Evan Ellis. Evan is a research professor of Latin American Studies, and I've asked Evan to join us today for a discussion on Panama, a relatively small country, but one of pivotal strategic importance in our hemisphere, especially given the role of the Panama Canal in facilitating transportation between the Pacific and Atlantic Oceans and the related role of the Panamanian financial services industry. Now, Evan had the opportunity to travel there recently to engage with Panamanian officials and academics to get a sense of what's ahead as the country faces national elections next year and to gauge the country's evolving relationship with China. Welcome, Evan. Thank you, John. It's a pleasure to be on the show with you. Well, Evan, let's start with a bit of history. Uh, Tell us what was the trajectory of Panama vis-a-vis China before the current uh, before the term of the current president, Laurentino Cortizo. He was he was in office starting in 2019. There are national elections next year. What uh, give us some sort of historical scene setting? How did that relationship look? Sure, John. Well, first of all, uh, even before uh, Panama recognized the PRC in June 2017, um, China had a presence uh, and, and uh, strong relations. Uh, China was the second or third user of the canal, depending on the year. Uh, Hutchison Wampoa, uh, Hong Kong based, uh, had established a presence uh, operating uh, uh, ports on both sides of the Panama Canal since 1999. there was a consortium starting in 2014, China Land Bridge, uh, that was uh, going to set up a major new port, the Panama Cloton Container Port. But then uh, in uh, June 2017, when then-President Juan Carlos Varela recognized the PRC, a lot of things happened very quickly that uh, were of some concern to Washington. So on the commercial side, uh, first of all, uh, there had been a lot of non-transparent memorandums of understanding signed with the PRC um, that seemed to advance Chinese presence. Uh, Subsequently, also, uh, Panama joined uh, China's Belt and Road Initiatives. And around the same time, there were seemingly a flurry of of major new projects uh, supported by Varela's enthusiasm. These included uh, the possibility of China setting up an embassy on the Amador Peninsula, which literally overlooks the Pacific point of access to the canal, something symbolically important. The Chinese had built a convention center. They were talking about building a $4 billion bullet train. Um, I mentioned uh, the Panama Cologne container port, a major new port that was going to be going on. Uh, there was uh, some uh, concerns of, of other things. Uh, there was, uh, uh, for example, uh, the possibility that the Chinese mining company Jiangxi had participation in a major new mining project in Panama uh, by the Canadian firm First Quantum that was going forward. There were uh, there was Chinese participation in two major bridge projects o- over the Panama Canal. Uh, in the digital space, uh, uh, Huawei uh, had set up a distro hub in the region and was moving forward with also with a um, installation of, of uh, cameras in uh, Clinton Free Trade Zone and in other places. So there was a lot of activity, a lot of economic engagement, uh, a lot of symbolism, and I think uh, the U.S. Uh, had some concern over that. 
Well, it sounds like a, indeed a lot of activity punctuated, as you mentioned, by the change in recognition from uh, from uh, Taiwan, basically to the the PRC in 2017. Now, how has that trajectory continued under uh, President Cortizo? Has, has it changed? What's been the what's been the trend since 2019? Well, the context of uh, Nito Cortizo uh, becoming uh, president was that uh, with the perceived distancing of Panama a bit from the, the U.S. under his predecessor, Juan Carlos Varela, there was some discomfort. Although a Panama-U.S. relations have, have never been perfect, uh, there's always been a certain uh, comfort in Panama with keeping the U.S. close for financial as well as political reasons. Um, so uh, with Cortizo coming in, uh, a lot of those Chinese projects got a, got a new look, and that slowed the advance of uh, those projects. And uh, that was farther slowed by, of course, uh, COVID-19, uh, the pandemic uh, forcing uh, also farther, further delays. Uh, now, during that time, uh, a number of those uh, high-profile projects I referred to were either stopped or redirected. For example, uh, the Chinese embassy uh, was redirected to be in a location a little bit uh, less uh, uh, symbolically significant than at the top of the Amador Peninsula. Uh, the Chinese bullet train project was canceled. Uh, the uh, Panama Clone Container Port uh, Initiative uh, actually uh, collapsed uh, under uh, a scandal that was occurring in China. There was uh, um, a uh, fourth transmission line that was going to be built by uh, electricity transmission line across uh, Panama that was also uh, canceled. The bridge project was postponed. Um, the uh, Some of the Huawei digital advances uh, were actually uh, um, limited. Uh, and uh, again, uh, a number of the projects that were contemplated in the canal zone uh, did not go forward in part because the Cortizo government uh, really lost its interest or postponed a lot of its interest in developing the, the canal zone in, in general. However, still there are Chinese projects moving forward. So, for example, the uh, Hutchison-Wampoa, which operates uh, those two major facilities on both sides of the canal, their license to do so was renewed in deals that were uh, somewhat questionable for, for what Hutchison got. Uh, China Harbor is uh, finishing the uh, cruise terminal that has helped to, to build um, on the Pacific side of, uh, of the canal. You have a number of Chinese companies still active in a major free trade zone called uh, Panama Pacifico. Uh, although the uh, Chinese uh, uh, fourth bridge over the canal was downscaled, the, the metro uh, line was taken off of it. It's uh, still actually proceeding forward. Uh, China Construction Americas is still building a number of commercial projects. And uh, again, companies like, like Huawei and also uh, Xiaomi are still present in, in the telecom sector and, and maybe elsewhere. So again, it's uh, the Things have, have slowed down a bit. It, it's a little bit more uh, you know, controlled, uh, but uh, you know, certainly it, it's going forward. And, and that actually includes military donations. One thing that got a lot of headlines recently was when uh, the uh, Chinese government uh, donated a total of uh, 6,000 uh, uh, protective vests and helmets to uh, a range of different Panama security organizations, uh, the Panamanian National Police, the Air and Naval Service, Sanan, as well as the, uh, the Border Protection Service, uh, Center Front. So it sounds like that the trend probably hasn't continued from what you're saying in the Cortizo administration. However, there's still lots of activity going on. But I imagine the Chinese are eager to get uh, some of these things back online that have uh, either not come to fruition or that have been uh, put on pause. I know that in your, your recent trip to Panama, you had the opportunity to have lunch with the Chinese ambassador to Panama. What was on his agenda and how do you see China trying to recover some ground that perhaps they've been uh, losing in the under the Cortizo administration? 
Well, I'd actually uh, met with Ambassador Wei Qiang uh, before during my, my previous trip to Panama a couple couple years back. Um, and it was interesting when we met this time around. It was a very friendly meeting. Uh, he is a very dynamic uh, person, uh, excellent Spanish, uh, very talented, very active in, in Panamanian society, building those relationships for, for, for the PRC. Uh, China certainly sent one of their, their very best diplomats uh, to Panama, suggesting the importance. And it was interesting because in my um, article that came out of my last trip to Panama, um, I had uh, noted on his just impeccable suits and tailoring. And, and so uh, apparently what I had written about him uh, got him the nefarious nickname of the Taylor of Panama, uh, going back to the John Le Carre novel by, by the same uh, title, uh, you know, allusion to his uh, sophistication and supposed uh, uh, you know, intelligence uh, ties. But um, it was a very friendly meeting. Uh, he uh, was very interested in, in uh, talking about what was then a new development. Uh, head of the U.S. Southern Command, General Laura Richardson, had just testified before Congress in which she gave a lot of attention to uh, China's advance in, in Panama. Um, and of course, uh, several months before he had visited there. And uh, Ambassador Wei was uh, asking me about that. Uh, you know, it, it was very apparent that uh, he was looking to um, not only in his relationship with me, but his relationship uh, with others in, in, in Panama, uh, trying to cast the U.S. as uh, somewhat overbearing. Uh, but it was also clear that he's being very cautious uh, before the uh, some of the, the slowdowns and some of the reversals that have occurred under the Cortizo regime. And yet at the same time, kind of working with Panama society. When I talked to him, he had just come back from a trip with Panama's first lady to make a donation in a, in a poor area of the country. And he was uh, just about to head off to supervise uh, what's known as drag boat races in, in Panama, where they have an active uh, Chinese uh, community. So he's very active. I think, again, he's proceeding cautiously, but uh, he's certainly looking for opportunities to sow doubts about the U.S. and, and build relationships with the the, um, the Panamanians wherever possible. Evan, let me now ask you about, uh, from the, the Pentagon's perspective, what do you think is most concerning from the U.S. Department of Defense's view about uh, some of the things you learned on this trip and uh, the efforts made by the, the Chinese ambassador to, uh, as you say, characterize the U.S. perhaps as not as reliable, uh, as not as good of a partner for Panama. Well, certainly uh, DOD is is worried about the, the broader uh, selection of uh, of uh, dynamics that come from uh, China's presence on the ground and the associated influence uh, in the Panamanian political system and the Panamanian families. But um, uh, Specifically from a, a DoD angle, I, I would also point out that uh, one of the concerns about that, uh, you know, that presence and in, in influence is its ability in the future to undercut our access, which includes uh, military access and our military partnership. And that becomes particularly of concern in time of conflict when uh, we really would be looking to our Panamanian partners to continue that close working relationship that we've long had uh, with them. On the other hand, reciprocally, of course, uh, the risk is that perhaps not with this government, but uh, possibly with a future uh, Panamanian Panamanian government, uh, you could open the doors more to a Chinese uh, security presence, uh, if only uh, in training and in other areas. Uh, but beyond that, also, there are the risks that if we ever found ourselves in a war with the PRC, for example, uh, possibly over the issue of Taiwan, that uh, one of the logical targets in the Western Hemisphere to inhibit uh, you know, U.S. military traffic and, and other traffic uh, between, uh, the, um, between the Pacific theater of operations and, and the Atlantic would be to shut down the, the 
Panama Canal. And in doing that, uh, whatever commercial as well as military um, PRC presence and familiarity that came from their operations there now uh, would help them in giving them options uh, to do something like shut down the canal, even if the Panamanian government uh, certainly uh, didn't want, want to do that. And then more broadly, also, there, uh, Panama is a very important financial and commercial hub. So, um, DOD is, is worried about our continued access elsewhere as China expands. And so uh, to the extent that the PRC is able to leverage its presence in Panama commercially to expand their commercial presence elsewhere and thus put U.S. influence at risk uh, elsewhere in the region, that's also a concern. Well, I mean, speaking of the uh, the, the future, what we might expect of uh, U.S.-Panamanian relations here, especially vis-a-vis China, let me with my last question ask you to sort of cast your gaze ahead. As I mentioned, Panama faces national elections next year. It's almost exactly a year away. Cortizo is, of course, term limited to a single five-year term. What what sense do you have following your trip there uh, of what we might expect to see uh, once this campaign season gets underway? Are relations with the U.S. and China going to be part of uh, the campaign, or is it more going to be a domestic focus? And what do you what do you think the uh, the major political players uh, will be doing as they uh, engage in the campaign? Well, in general, John, my, my sense is that uh, both uh, the U.S. and China um, would uh, prefer to avoid making this about uh, the U.S. and China. And, and I do suspect that in general, it'll be more about uh, Panama's future. Uh, Panama's undergone a significant number of, of changes and stresses, uh, everything from uh, the economic uh, impacts of the uh, COVID-19 pandemic to the significant number of migrants that are coming through the Darien Gap uh, of all uh, sorts, as, as well as um, you know the issues, ongoing issues of, of drugs and, and insecurity, uh, among others. There's a lot of frustration in Panama over uh, rising insecurity, um, perceptions of, of corruption in general, but also the, the Cortizo uh, government. Um, but right now, also, the field is, is pretty wide open. There's uh, something like 10 candidates. Uh, we're not going to get to uh, primaries for another couple of months. So right now, there's a lot of maneuvering and and uh, you know talk about potential alliances. But uh, at least according to the polls, if uh, the elections were held today, um, actually, former President Ricardo Martinelli is by far the front runner, uh, reflecting that uh, you know, he was the president of Panama at a time when, when things were pretty good. There was a lot of money. Uh, relations with the U.S. were good. Uh, he polls about 31% right now. Um, the problem is that uh, he was also involved in, in a lot of corruption. He was actually extradited by the United States back to Panama. His own kids in, in separate uh, investigations were actually prosecuted in the United States, including uh, testifying against uh, their own father's uh, corrupt uh, activities. And so uh, you know, hard to find a, a way to turn somebody against the United States, uh, you know, much more than uh, you know obligating their, their own children to, to testify against their father. Um, but uh, so although Martinelli himself uh, says that he uh, would welcome a positive engagement with the United States, uh, given what he's been through, uh, people uh, you know, have their, their, their doubts. Um, at the same time, there's maneuvering uh, in many other spaces. So, for example, although uh, the current president, Nitro Cortizo, for um, constitutional reasons, can't run, his vice president, Criso, uh, is uh, interested in running. He's actually polling number two right now, although um, his negatives are pretty high because of, of some of the perceived ties that he has with, with, with corrupt activities. Uh, also, within that dominant uh, Panamanian party, uh, there are a number of others who are a little bit 
more worrisome, uh, including uh, the current head of the National uh, Assembly, uh, Crispiano Adams, who is very close to Russia, very close to um, some populist uh, leftist radical causes, and so uh, some concern there. Uh, the candidates that are most favored by what I would call the establishment Panamanian families uh, are the Christian Democrat Ramiro Larue uh, and um, the uh, Panamanista candidate uh, Jose Blandon. Uh, however, again, um, neither one of those candidates are particularly inspiring for many of the, the middle class or, or also some of the, the marginalized Panamanians. There's some talk also that former President Martin Torrijos uh, would uh, run again. He's actually switched parties. He's left the PRD for a little party called the Popular Party. Um, it's not clear uh, how much traction he's going to get. Um, and there's also a um, a rather interesting character uh, by the name of Ricardo Lombana, who has attracted attention because of his austerity and, and anti-corruption campaign, and, and his numbers are moving up in the polls. But um, right now, apart from uh, Martinelli, um, it's uh, pretty wide open. And at the end of the day, uh, whoever wins uh, next May will have a significant impact on the trajectory of Panama, both in terms of, of China and the United States, and also Panama's role in the, the global system in a Latin America, which is itself uh, changing very rapidly. Um, and recognizing that Panama, as you pointed out, John, is, is a country which not only because of the canal, but its role as a financial center really is a, a truly strategic node in our, our hemisphere. Well, Evan, I know you keep up a very busy travel schedule for research and speaking engagements. And so I am grateful that you uh, took time, carved out time to chat with me today about, about Panama. We had the benefit of sharing your knowledge of, of that country with our audience. So Dr. Evan Ellis, a research professor of Latin American studies, thank you so much for joining me today. Always a pleasure, John. Thank you. You can now find SSI Live on TuneIn Radio and on popular podcast directories like Stitcher and at the iTunes Store. If you have any comments on our podcasts, thoughts on what you'd like to see addressed, or a response to something you heard here at SSI Live, please go to our website. That's ssi.armywarcollege.edu. Find me, John Denny, in the staff directory, and send me an email. I look forward to hearing from you. For the SSI Live podcast series, I'm John Denny. Thanks for listening.